This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm super excited to be joined by special guest Sigmund Bloom of Football Guys. Sig, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. The episode, one of the episodes I most highly anticipate every single year, talking down these prospects, setting the draft stage with you before the NFL draft every single year. Yeah, it's fun. I don't even know how many years we've been doing this now. And then you come and you return the favor and you come over to our live show on uh, draft night, the first round. And instead of agony, (laughs) good vibes, good vibes for the Giants fans and good vibes for everybody as we had the most seismic march we've ever had. And the draft is going to have trouble living up to that. But we're still going to learn a lot about these teams, the Giants. We're going to learn about the new regimes. We're going to learn about their priorities. We're going to learn about what they think of what they have, what they think of what's out there. And as I was talking about with Chris Trapazzo from uh, CBS earlier today, earlier this week on my show, the draft is the best, Paul. I mean, you're an erudite individual. You're a teacher. You're, you're concerned with the intellect and the mind and young, massaging and getting young intellects to grow and cultivating them. The draft is the most fertile soil for any football conversation you can imagine. Every single football topic intersects at the draft. And that's one of the reasons I think we love it so much because it's an on-ramp to talk about any number of issues, whether it be on a player level, coaching, a team level. You can get into the salary cap and dynamics, financial dynamics that are going on. Uh, It's really stimulating more than enough to keep us occupied until training camp opens in like three months. Yeah, and I think it was you on your most recent uh, Audible show said it's the favorite, it's the best football event of the, on the calendar. And I, I totally agree with that. Obviously, it's part of the reason why this podcast was created because how much we love the NFL draft. And you often say it, and I think you're spot on. You can't lie. The teams can't yeah. lie in the draft. They tell us what they think about guys on their own roster by their draft decisions, and they tell us what they think about guys in terms of draft picks, in terms of their evaluation. And then that's the perfect jumping off point is to kind of tie in a little bit. You brought the crazy march that we had. I think it spoke volumes about what teams think about the quarterback class this year. In yeah. particular, the teams that went for, you know, like Washington, let's say, you know, making that trade for Carson Wentz, basically nobody else was was, was right. coming to the forefront. They make that trade for him. That is a direct, in my opinion, reflection of what they thought of this draft class or didn't think of this draft class because they were sitting there, you know, at pick 11, I think it was right. And, and they probably might've had their choice of the quarterbacks Mm -hmm. or worst case scenario, maybe one would have been off the board. Uh, Big picture, all this crazy quarterback movement or the quarterbacks that are now playing without their elite wide receivers is there a few that just have you, your interest level as somebody that really loves analyzing the big picture mm-hmm. that you're most excited about, whether it's Russ in Denver now out sure. of that Seattle system or any of the other crazy quarterback movement? And is the chairs stopped? And is there anywhere for Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker right. Mayfield at this point, I think is a fascinating conversation as well. Oh, yeah. We could spend the next hour just talking <laughs> about these topics. It, it is fascinating. I think that you mentioned Russell Wilson in Denver, and I think we will get a see a look, my brain, English, uh, at how much Seattle was holding him back. 
We don't know. Maybe Seattle wasn't holding him back. Uh, just last year, was it the finger injury? Or is he starting to decline or maybe isn't quite the quarterback that we thought he was? Uh, a lot of those questions will be answered. And Denver, a very interesting way to do it, right, Paul, where you set the table first and then you you get the meal, right, uh, instead of getting the quarterback and then building around the quarterback. Usually that's the way you do it. So it worked out, and their patience last year not taking a quarterback worked out. I think the price they paid for Russell Wilson, just based on what Russell Wilson represents, was very reasonable, extremely reasonable, uh, much more reasonable than I thought. Um, We could talk about the Deshaun Watson move, but I don't know how you can talk about that without it becoming. Let's keep with the good vibes, right? Um, uh, Some smaller stories, Marcus Mariota reunited with Arthur Smith. And this was a really easy dot to connect once Matt Ryan wanted out and ended up in Indianapolis. And, and that's another one, too. Chris Ballard, the magician. You know, for my next magic trick, I'll turn a failing Carson Wentz in, into Matt Ryan plus picks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Um, and I think you mentioned Carson Wentz. That's just a sign of a, a bad organization that may become a better organization. There's hope. There's hope, Giants fans. <laughs> now there's hope, Commanders fans. Maybe there's hope they won't be the Commanders, and if there's a new owner, they'll change it to something else, uh, the Washington Amazons. Uh, so th- there's intrigue, even as a Steelers fan, in Mitchell Trubisky. Again, if solve for X, and X is how much was the coaching or court or the scheme holding back a player, and that's Russell Wilson, we can also ask that about Mitchell Trubisky now. Because it didn't look like Matt Nagy and company gave Justin Fields any advantages or helped him last year. So I think that's interesting. So we always go into the season with these questions. I like to think about it mathematically, again, where we're solving for X, X being the unknown. And it's often the delta. It's the change. And for so many quarterbacks, there's change. Like you said, even for Aaron Rodgers, even for Patrick Mahomes, uh, how will those two teams now each, they can move up. So let's transition from quarterbacks to wide receivers because we saw a crazy wide receiver contracts, wide receiver salaries spiraling uh, out of control, at least by some of these teams' estimation. Those same two teams, Green Bay and Kansas City, are in position to be able to move up for one of these top five receivers. However, because of that rising pay scale, they're going to have competition. They're going to have to be aggressive. Uh, so it may be that while usually quarterbacks turn the crank on the draft, we might see wide receivers take that marquee spot this year. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And, you know, I know I've had the conversation with many people. Do you think this is an outlier or the beginning of a trend that teams that are paying these mega, mega quarterback contracts, like approaching the $50 million mm-hmm. range, do you think this is going to be more of the new trend where they're not going to be able to pay $50 million to a quarterback and then pay a wide receiver 30, 30 million or, or whatever it's going up to overlapping them? Like, do you think this is now going to be the start where if a team invests $50 million in a quarterback, they're going to say, we're going to, we're going to ride out the wide receiver until he's due for that mega extension. And then we're going to ship him out to a team that maybe doesn't have a quarterback making that kind of money. And then is that going to be something that's kind of like a new wave in the NFL? Or do you think this might just be two unique scenarios? Or do you think there's something that could be a little bit more to this that we might start seeing a little bit more as we move forward as these quarterback prices, you know, Derek Carr yesterday, getting 40 million. Like we know where these quarterback prices are going, right? When the next great ones are up for, they're all going to be 50 million plus for 
the elite guys. Are they going to be able to afford these wide receivers or we're going to see them say, we'll trade them. And then we'll kind of recycle them almost right. like running backs do now because the depth at wide receiver in the draft is so strong every single year. You can get impactful players. Do you think this is something that we could start seeing more of in the next five years or so? Yeah, I, all the signs pointing to yes, right? I mean, it's a case-by-case basis because immediately, Paul, immediately, whenever Tyree Kill got traded – and Devontae Adams got traded. Immediately you look at Stephon Diggs, right? Stephon Diggs still playing on a paltry five-year, $72 million deal. What happens? He gets a four-year, $104 million extension, much like uh, Devontae Adams basically saying, yeah, we're paying premium for some years in your 30s, but we want to lock you up. We want you to retire a bill. And then the next one goes towards, and this, and this is where the 2022 draft comes in right because what if aj brown was a first round pick instead of a second round pick what if dk metcalf was a first round pick instead of a second round pick then you would not have these conversations not debo samuel uh, uh terry mclaurin they were third round picks but taking the court the wide receiver in the first round and getting that fifth year that's cost controlled now that's like you said quarterback salaries are even more outrageous so maybe you break ties in favor of quarterback. But either way, I think that we hear incessant trade rumors, right? DK Metcalf, uh, uh, Tebow Samuel, is he going to hold out? Uh, Mike Vrabel shutting things down saying A.J. Brown is going to be a Titan and maybe they're going to have to use the franchise tag. Uh, and then we'll see about Terry McLaurin, Washington's in transition. But I think that the, this is exactly the decision that you described that all of these organizations are having to take on these players and just like running backs for different reasons uh maybe they can't live up to that contract uh how often does a wide receiver really affect the game how many plays right uh 10 plays i mean maybe you can argue that someone like tyree hill distorts the defense that there are certain wide receivers that are so good that they distort the defense and they affect the defense on every play but that's a very rare receiver so i think you are going to see the smart teams do that. Now, that being said, it's also smart for the Bills smack in the middle of a Super Bowl window to keep the band together and to send a message to all the players that if you perform then and you come to us before your contract is up and you want to be paid what you're worth, then we're going to pay you what you're worth. So it's a, it's a case-by-case basis, but I think it absolutely has changed the math on taking a wide receiver in the first round. And absolutely, these teams, Green Bay and Kansas City, that just got out from under. Now, Green Bay, I'm not sure, Paul. I, th- I think I heard that Green Bay would have given Devontae Adams that contract, and he yes. was just he was just he just made up his mind that he wanted to go to Vegas. But Kansas City made a very distinct decision. We don't want to pay you that. Now, maybe that's about Tyreek Hill, but I it also could just be about the structure of their roster. So these two teams lurking in the twenties, where you have these five wide receivers, and this is and this in and of itself is a fascinating conversation because they're all different, right? You have the two Alave and Wilson from Ohio State, a little different flavors there, but you know guys that make their mark on separation. Um, you have Drake London, who's more like the classic X, like like Michael Pittman goes straight to USC. You have Traylon Burks, who people want to compare to DK Metcalf, or they want to compare him to Debo Samuel, maybe the pieces are all there they're not necessarily integrated and then jameson williams who adds in the variable of the injury the acl tear however he's the one that gives you that speed 
And Green Bay has been very, Gutenkust has been very candid and said, we need speed. But you're not going to get Jamison Williams if you sit back in the 20s. So I think when we hear about trades happening during the first round, it might not be quarterback this year. It might be wide receiver. Yeah, the the five wide receivers you just brought up, I think they're all going round one. Yeah, uh, top I 20. Think, yeah, and that's where that's where it gets really interesting because, you know, as I'm – you know, putting the finalizing touches on the Saturday, Sunday draft projections notebook where I'm basing things on what I'm hearing and expect to happen, not my own personal rankings. You know, I'm looking at it and saying to myself, there could be seven wide receivers in round one. I'm Easy. not sure I'm gonna, I'm not sure I'm gonna predict that, but you just laid out uh, those five that we just talked about. There's no way I'm not projecting them going in the top 32 picks on opening night. And if those teams can't trade up, the ones you're talking about, KC and Green Bay, well, Christian Watson and Jahan Dotson might be staring them in the face late round one. They have explosive speed. Obviously, Christian Watson coming from a smaller program, a little bit more projecting on how he might translate. There's a lot of people who really are intrigued with a guy like Jahan Dotson. To me, he's more reliable, better hands. I like Deontay Johnson a lot coming out of Toledo. I think Jahan Dotson is better, more explosive, and better hands. I don't know if it's going to translate to as much success as Deontay Johnson has had at the next level. But those two guys could easily easily push their way into the round one mix. And we could be seeing seven wide receivers go on the board, uh, you know, because of what you're saying, these wide receiver salaries are are so exploding that now having that fifth year and like, it's weird. It's we're almost going to start using that fifth year thing as something. And I wonder if it's ever going to change where they might start to, and the league probably won't, the union probably won't want some type of option on the second round guys, but right. You know, because they want to get, they want them to get the free agency because they didn't make a big, they didn't make significant money in, in their first contract. But it's like we say that about quarterbacks. We even sometimes can use that phrase if, if you have a pick late round, uh, early round two, and you know you want a running back and you're penciling a running back. Would you try to move up one or two spots just to know that now you have that running back for five years and then you can just kind of let him go if you're yeah. tar- targeting someone at the top of the second? So there's so many layers now with this fifth year option that I, I think it's truly fascinating. You brought up Traylon Burks and he, like every time I hear people talk about Traylon Burks, there was like. I feel like there was such this misconception heading into the combine and it did him such a disservice being compared to DK Metcalf. Like, I, I don't know where those comps really started to explode from, but anybody who really watched him in, 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 at Arkansas, a, the, the way he was utilized and two the way he played was not even remotely in the same, same stratosphere as a DK Metcalf type player to me, the guy, and I don't think he's nearly as quick twitch and right. acceleration as a Debo Samuel. So right. he's, he's not utilized like DK Metcalf. He doesn't have straight line speed like DK Metcalf. And he doesn't have the the burst and, and stuff like a Debo Samuel. I understand the Debo more than the, uh, the DK Metcalf because the physicality and after the catch, the play strength and stuff like that. The guy I've been comparing him to is AJ Brown because I think AJ Brown was used predominantly as a big slot at Ole Miss. And he you, he wins after the catch with that physicality, that toughness. And the term that I've been using a lot is a term that I they took right from Dame Brugler, who I always comment on. Uh, I never even heard the term flying twenty, and uh, it's Dame Brugler talked about it a lot yeah. heading into the combine that the, that Traylon Burks wasn't going to run a great forty, but he was really interested in his flying twenty, which like I think is that ten to thirty yard range. Once he picks up mo- his momentum, that ten to thirty yard is really special. So I'm interested to see a team how to maximize Traylon Burks 
you guys were talking about on the last Audible, which was, was a great conversation. If a team comes in and expects Traylon Burks to be this refined route runner and beat man coverage and beat press coverage right off the bat, they're going to be very disappointed, I think, with Traylon Burks early in his NFL career. They got to have a plan for him. They got to they got to try to get him some off coverage. And I think that's why he might be utilizing the slot in a variety of ways uh, early on to kind of maximize his potential. So the wide receiver conversation, it's fascinating. What, why don't we just stick there? Is there sure. anybody else outside? I brought up Christian Watson and Dotson, if you want to comment on any of them. Is there anybody else that maybe uh, from that next group that kind of piques your interest? Is there anybody that you kind of have penciled yeah. in that, like whether it's George Pickens, sure. whether it's Sky Moore, anybody else that might be in that next group? Oh, yeah. And I think that that next group, I mean, they're going to ride the coattails of the top 20, the five, maybe all five won't go in the top 20. They'll certainly go in the top 22 or 23. You mentioned Pickens. And why don't we just put Justin Ross in there, too? Um, you know, these are receivers that at different times might have been considered uh, potential first round picks. And because of injuries, they're not. But is this going to be something where the, the teams that get the injury discount? are going to be really happy because these guys have, you know, they show big time skills. They're in big time programs. I mean, Justin Ross uh, had about a thousand yards as a true freshman, right? He wasn't even a starter at Clemson and he had a thousand yards as a true freshman. Now I get it. He's had this uh, surgery. He hasn't really like looked like himself yet. Spinal surgery's scary. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a, a, a linebacker from LSU with a similar situation than uh, Damone Clark also had a uh, spinal surgery. So we watch these injury discounts for these big time players and, and big time programs. And certainly for fantasy, of course, it's funny because if we're talking about the stuff with quarterbacks and wide receivers, you mentioned that, that scenario. Um, anybody who's done an auction draft in fantasy knows studs and duds, right? Our team's going to be forced to do studs and duds where half of their cap is used up on three players. And then they have to make it work with the rest of those players, kind of like what the Rams have done. I think the Patriots did this to an extent, although they were helped out by Tom Brady. Like the Rams' ability to hit on so many third-day picks and have those players in at mini school salaries allowed them to be loose with some of the big contracts and, and trades they threw out there. Um, you know, other wide receivers that I, I think are, are really fascinating after the top group. Um, I mean, again, Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame is another one. Uh, and what you have with him, and this is one of those things, it's always interesting to talk to people that spend way too much time doing the stuff that we do in the Saturday to Sunday vein, is how important is it when you look at the way the arrow was pointing at the end of the player's college career, right? You might say, you know, I don't know if I really care that much what he did in year one or year two, but if he's coming out of year three or year four, with the arrow pointing up and really showing the game is slowing down for him and really showing that he can unlock his tools, then that could be one where uh, Kevin Austin could end up being a great, great pick uh, and not one that's going to be an expensive pick. Another thing that I'm watching always, this is that conversation, Paul, about how the draft gives us an on-ramp to talk about anything, is these the, the mighty mites, right? Spreading the field, these players are more important or at least have more applications of so Calvin Austin, Wandale Robinson. You know, these are guys um, I know we didn't see much happen with the Rams uh, and the second round pick. I don't know why his name's escaping me right now. Last year, the, the, the speedster Louisville. But, uh, yeah. Right. Louisville. I, uh, uh, anyway, my point is that uh, Tutu Atwell, um, 
that these receivers where the BMI or the filters, right? Teams have filters. They just say, oh, you know, tackle with less than 33-inch arms. No. You know, saying uh, whatever, Kenny Pickett, quarterback, eight and a half inch hands, right? Teams do have these thresholds, but the thresholds at wide receiver, I think, are changing and seeing how high these mighty mites go where maybe four or five years ago. Now, granted, Tavon Austin went really high, speaking of the Rams, and maybe that caused teams to shy away from that kind of player. Uh, but now I think that kind of player is showing a lot more uh, ability to be used in 2022 versions of NFL offenses. Yeah, I mean, the the truth of the matter is Tavon Austin played a decade too early. Like, like if he played, if he was coming out now with so much the way the game has changed in terms of, you know, spreading the field and creating space for these playmakers, you know, he he might be, look look at the success Cordell Patterson is now having late in his career. And part of it is I just don't think teams knew what to do with him. You know, now listen, maybe if he was with Kyle Shanahan or somebody else earlier in his career, they would have maximized that. But as you've seen more guys branch off the Sean McAvey tree and and now as we're seeing guys branch off the Kyle Shanahan tree, I think you're starting to see teams look at these guys and find roles for them that previously – Teams didn't know what to do with Cordell Patterson. They knew he was this explosive playmaker, but not the traditional way. And they didn't know how to utilize him. And now he might have a great, you know, finish to his career, which mm-hmm. is which is fascinating after he bounced around so many teams. Calvin Austin is a guy who I'm really, really intrigued with if he gets in the right spot. And let's be honest, Memphis has put playmakers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, Memphis is not a team, you know, not you don't think of them. Obviously, they're not at the level of the top guys like the Clemsons and the Alabamas, but Memphis. Is, ha- is always has a prolific offense, and it's not like those guys just put up stats in college and then we never heard to hear from them again in the NFL level. Some of these guys come to the NFL and are, are impact players. So I think he's a guy that really intrigues me. Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati yeah. is a guy that teams are really seem to be high on. Uh, and you kind of round that out where you started. The injury discounts to a guy like George Pickens and Justin Ross are going to be really interesting. I feel like Ross's injuries – are a little bit more concerning that might, he might slide all the way to day three. And once upon a time, you know, anybody who watched him his freshman year, he was the best wide receiver on Clemson. Yeah. And that was, that was over T Higgins and the rest of the guys they had. I mean, he looked like a future AJ green style player. Now he didn't test things have ha- obviously a lot's happened since then. And, and that's why now we're talking about a guy, you know, either round three or maybe even day three. And the neck issue is obviously something serious, you know, but he's a guy that could be really intriguing. And George Pickens, I think the fact that he fought to get back this year, you know, I think shows the type of character, you know, and makeup he has. And, you know, the great Greg Cosell who listens, blocks out all the noise of, of what's out there. He likes George Pickens more than uh, Drake London. I, that's a big that's a big statement. Yeah. And, you know, he he has some reservations about Drake London and his separation, and he thinks he's more of like a Marquise Colston, big slot guy only. But he's that high on George Pickens. And if George Pickens never gets injured and never, I think it was an ACL, you know, we're talking about he might be the most pure ex outside old, you know, traditional yeah. X wide receiver in this class. And now he's probably going to go somewhere on day two. Uh, I think, I think he'll still go round two. I think there's enough buzz with him. Uh, 
but it's fascinating to see how deep this class is. It kind of just goes in what we're saying is that every year wide receivers are coming in, being productive early. There's no more year three breakouts. Like that's like a right. that's like a foreign concept now. These wide receivers come in and make an impact early and often. And I think that's why teams at big picture are more willing to maybe trade a star wide receiver and, and keep the, the, the cap hits low, you know, because there is so many guys because so much of those college uh play calling and schemes have now morphed itself into the NFL game where these guys are seeing instant success. So the wide receiver position every year, I feel like we're never going to have a discussion pre-draft anymore. And we're sitting here saying there's a lack of wide receiver talent <laughs> in this class. I don't right. think that's going to happen anymore. Right. So really interesting there. Why don't we pivot back to the quarterbacks for a second? Yeah. We talked about them a little bit, you know, obviously the Steelers are a team you follow closely. Obviously they're very much in the quarterback market you know, your kind of own personal take, and you could also mm-hmm. use your fandom. Would you want them to pull the trigger on a guy? Do you think there's anyone who warrants going round one? We're, we know we're going to see one or two, bare minimum, maybe three or four. I still think that number is being inflated. And as we talked about, I don't know if it was off air or at the beginning of the show, I think these, these quarterbacks are going to fall a little bit. But is there anybody that you think warrants going round one? And if so, who are they? Yeah, I think that certainly uh, – Pickett warrants a pick in the first round. Uh, I don't know if he warrants a pick at number six for the Panthers, but we got to remember the denominator here uh, is the other choices, right? How compelling are the other choices? And maybe this year the choices aren't as compelling as they would be in typical years. So maybe that makes taking a quarterback that high more understandable. We can step through it, the plot of the draft, right? Um, You have Atlanta at number eight. Now, I keep seeing them connected more to wide receivers, but also uh, even the, like Desmond Ritter it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if Ritter was the number one quarterback in this class because there's not a clear, I mean, number one in the sense of drafted first. We'll see how their careers play out. But Pickett and Willis are almost certainly going to go in the first round. And Paul, another thing, by the way, we're all going to work for sports gambling companies eventually, right? Like they're just going to own the entire sports media eventually. But really the work we've been doing, uh, and y'all have been doing an outstanding job for a long time. Uh, the draft props, right? I mean, all of this knowledge is actionable and you can make money off of it. So for wide receivers, for instance, like we talked about, Paul, if you sent, if you set the over under for wide receivers at five and a half in the first round, I'm probably hitting the over six and a half. I'm in the under, but I'm nervous at the end of the first round. Quarterbacks, I think the number here is two and a half or three and a half. I think I think two and a half, I mean, if you could find one and a half, you would pound that over. Because I think that Pickett and Willis have, have done enough to go in the first round. Plus, you have the possibility, just like we talked about with wide receivers, teams taking quarterbacks at the end of the first round, especially the classic trade back into the first to get your quarterback cost controlled for five years. So we have Atlanta. We have Seattle at number nine. Uh, I have, if, if Baker Mayfield's going to get traded, I think Seattle would be the place that he would end up. I don't know. Um, and Malik Willis certainly comes into play there. Uh, then we have, uh, of course, Washington. Although I think Washington, with everything hanging over that franchise right now, they're not going to do it. I think they're going to be conservative. I think they have to be conservative. I don't think they're going to commit to a quarterback, especially after uh, Wentz. Then you have the Saints and the interesting move the Saints made of getting a second first-round pick. 
if the Panthers are taking calls about moving down for a quarterback, I don't think that the Saints did that in an Eagles way like the Eagles did to move up from 13 to 8 before they made the move for Carson Wentz. So you have all of these different teams. The quarterback's going to fall through. And more and more what I'm seeing, since we're making the Steelers-centric, Paul, is uh, one of Pickett or Willis still being there at number 20. And... I think that at number 20, that's reasonable. Uh, it's not like you're mortgaging your future. You're not spending multiple first-round picks. Um, you have Mitchell Trubisky. You don't have to rush this guy out onto the field. And the guy that makes sense is Willis, right? If you design an offense, Matt Canada, with more freedom, designs an offense around what Mitchell Trubisky can do, isn't that going to look like the offense you would design around what Malik Willis can do right now? Uh, and then there's Kenny Pickett. I'm not... I, Kenny Pickett has some discrete strengths and flaws. And the one-year wonder makes you worry a little bit. Um, obviously, can he play in Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah, he can play in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's, that's where he's been doing it. You know, he's kind of a Kirk Cousins. I think I saw someone said that like his ceiling is good Kirk Cousins and his floor is bad Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's fair, right? I mean, he's, or another way we like to put it right, you win with him but not necessarily because of him. Right, but the Steelers could, you know, that's not as exciting as Willis. I think Willis is the exciting pick here, or maybe even Desmond Ritter, um, because we have a new paradigm, maybe Paul with Jalen Hurts, and we'll see how it turns out, right? But with Jalen Hurts, you ha- and I think Ritter and Willis, uh, and maybe even Matt Coral. I mean, they all kind of fit in this Jalen Hurts paradigm where you have an athletic guy. Uh, you have a guy who can add value with his legs. You have a guy who can um, make some plays when the play breaks down with his legs. Maybe doesn't have the best process, right? Or in case of Willis, does he even have a process yet? Uh, but if you have a strong defense and you have an offense that can scheme, remember call the Colin Kaepernick 49ers, right? Um, you have an offense that can scheme to the advantages the quarterback gives you and away from the disadvantages of his flaws, that can work. That can absolutely work. Now, on the picket front, you know, uh, the Vikings got to the NFC Championship with Case Keenum. But again, a system that made things easier for the quarterback. So I think either one of those, as opposed to kicking it down the road, because maybe the blessing of this class being a somewhat poor quarterback class is you can be at number 20 and get your future starter. Heck, you might get your future starter in the early second round, like uh, Derek Carr, like Andy Dalton, like Colin Kaepernick. And then when you get your starter at number 20, or you get your starter in the early second round, the fans aren't putting all this pressure on the management to push this player out on the field before he's ready and before it's good for him. Uh, those two things are just kind of synonymous. So so I think the Steelers are in a good spot. I think if they took Ritter or Willis or Pickett, I would consider it a win because you know they just made the playoffs and they're still able to get their quarterback of the future. They're still able to lock in that cost control. They have a strong defense. We'll see about the offensive line. We'll see about the offense. There's some unknowns there, how much Ben Roethlisberger was influencing what they were doing on offense. But I would take any of those three guys and you know, we could get into... I don't know if Carson Strong is a good fit for the Steelers just because they don't have a good offensive line. I think if you, if you, you if Carson Strong, what's your system? How good is your offensive line? I mean, that's and, and and how does knee check out? That's a whole separate issue. And then with Coral and Sam Howell, and uh, you have the tough question, Paul, of how much did the system help them, and how would they look outside of that system? But were people making similar questions? Bring up similar questions about Justin Herbert. 
kind of, maybe. So, I mean, again, we just kind of shrug our shoulders, but you're not paying the number six overall pick like you did for Justin Herbert. You're not getting Justin Herbert tools either. You get one of those quarterbacks in the early second or late first. You have a, a offensive coordinator who can create advantages for them like they had in college. Then maybe we're on to something. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so much great information there, and, and I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be really fascinating because, you know, I have Malik Willis as my as my QB1. I actually have Corral as my QB2, and then to me, Pickett and Ritter are right there, QB3, QB4, you know, but I look at a guy like Ritter, and to me, top of the second, I like that value more than mid-first taking a guy like Pickett because I really like I like Ritter's game. I, I noticed some inconsistent ball placement, but I Kaepernick, you, you mentioned him a couple times. That's the guy I've been I've been saying for two years on Saturday, Sunday. That's who Ritter reminds me of. To me, very similar to Kaepernick coming out of Nevada, you know, and I thought that's where he was probably gonna go, top of the second round. And I think a team, you know, I think Atlanta top of the second makes so much mm-hmm. sense. Uh, for for a guy like you know Desmond Ritter, and then kind of gives them a situation where you know we'll see next year, right? I mean, everyone says, "Oh, next year's gonna be better." Well, what if it's only C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young? That's only two yeah. guys, and yeah. who's to say those guys? You know, a year ago it was Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler were supposed to be the guys. Like we don't know. Nope. Uh, a year out from now, how much could theoretically change? So I could see a guy like Desmond Ritter, really intriguing teams as that dual threat guy. Uh, Malik Willis has the highest upside, right? So that's why for me, he's my my number one guy, just because the the physical traits are there. He's got like, <clears throat> to me, I think his arm talent is far superior than a guy like Jalen Hurts, who at times he's been compared to. Uh, but his processing and what they asked him to do at Liberty, you know, we have no idea how that's going to translate. You'd have to have a very, you know, vanilla-like offense early on in, in his NFL. I mean, think about the first year with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, right? right. I think that's what it would have to be for not, not to the point of rushing the ball 25 times a game, but you understand the, the point of like mm-hmm. a very simplistic offense is what Malik Willis might need early on if he's asked to, to kind of be thrown into the fire. Uh, I think Corral's kind of a wild card because he's been out of sight, out of mind. Uh, but I really like his game, his ability to play off structure. But again, this, the, the scheme that he played in made things very simple for him. And then you, you brought up Carson Strong, who 10 years ago, he's probably a first round. He's probably the right. first pick in the draft, right? He's Drew Bledsoe, Carson Palmer, you know, in some capacity, you know, maybe not as, as talented in terms of either arm talent, stuff like that. But he's not that far off a Drew Bledsoe, Carson Palmer type. It's just the NFL has changed a little bit, you know, obviously. And, you know, and then obviously the knee injury, like he already was a, a pocket passing quarterback who couldn't really move much. Now, if the knee really is limiting any movement, you know, now you're talking about a statue back there, uh, which is not obviously what most. NFL teams are looking for so it's going to be a really interesting you know dynamic with these quarterbacks you know I think the guys who have the running component you know for fantasy when we talk post draft and we talk about dynasty rookie rankings and stuff like that I think that'll definitely skew more towards the guys like Willis and Ritter just you know and maybe Corral because of their their running capabilities but you know nothing would really surprise me with these quarterbacks. I don't think they're going to go in the top 10, but maybe one does sneak into, you know, Carolina or Atlanta or Seattle. I'm more inclined to think we're going to see one or two go off the board, either the teens or in the twenties or a trade up. And I still think we might only get two. I I think, I think 2.5, if you put it, I would say under, I still think we might get under uh, that number. And then maybe the top of the second is where we start to see. And, you know, we talked a lot of, you know, I want to just kind of pick your brain. This just came to me as we were talking. You know, we talk so much about that fifth year controlled option. You know what I'm really finding fascinating is teams are making decisions on quarterbacks so much quicker now. And I think I think it goes <laughs> 
I, I say all the time that Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen game is going to have ramifications for the next decade plus in the NFL mm -hmm. because if you don't have somebody who you think could compete on that level, you're going to I think pull the cord and move on. So it's like yeah, teams this five this fifth year that always was so fascinating for the quarterbacks. We're starting to see more and more teams, whether it's Cleveland with Baker Mayfield. I am almost positive the Giants are not going to pick up the fifth-year right. option on Daniel Jones. If he absolutely balls out this year, maybe to give him the franchise tag or, or right. revisit the situation. So it's almost like what used to be, oh, we want a rookie quarterback to have four and maybe five years before we pulled the cord. It's almost like teams are making the decision now two or three years into them playing that in some way, yes, obviously if you have that fifth year option, it's better than having to give them the long-term money, but it's almost like by the fifth year comes around, you either think he's your long-term answer and you probably don't even mind giving him the big money at that right. point, or you're just going to pull the cord and move on. So it's a really weird dynamic. Is that fifth-year option for quarterbacks going to lose a little bit of the magnitude we used to consider it as teams are making decisions on young quarterbacks, I think, at a much more rapid pace than we've ever seen? Yeah, there's so many names that pop up here too, right? Tua, Tua Tungavailoa. Yeah. Um, and lurking decisions coming up on Zach Wilson, on Justin Fields on uh is this something that affects the calculus of whether you push trey lance out on the field this year even if you still have jimmy garoppolo because you need that data you need data in the first three years to make that decision and paul that number that fifth year option number is going to just keep going up i think it was like 18 million this year it's just going to keep going up so i think you're absolutely right that maybe teams will decide well, we want to know by the third year whether we even want to pick up the fifth year option uh, Jordan Love, I mean, obviously his fifth-year option is not going to be picked up, but you see how that creates a gaffe, basically. You spend a first-round pick on a quarterback, and at the end of year three, you don't know what you have. That's bad because you have to make a decision to commit to a top-of-the-market salary for year five at the end of year three that's fully guaranteed now, not just guaranteed for injury. The yeah. new CBA changed that. So I think you're absolutely right that it, it could skew those things. And I guess it, what it comes back to, and it is draft season, is the good organizations just block all this stuff out. The good organizations just depend on their in-house information, in-house evaluations, what they know about their players, and they don't let the pressure skew them. They don't flail like, say, I don't know, Carolina has. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to separate these things out. But you, I also want to go back to what you're saying about the quarterbacks and the draft really fast. Um, I love the way you frame it as it's not rank the quarterbacks one to six. It is considering what we expect the price for each quarterback going to be in the draft, which one is the best proposition, right? Like if you have to take Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett in the top 20 versus taking um, Desmond Ritter in the top of the second and weigh those things out, I think that is the better way to think about this class and evaluate this class. And for a team like Atlanta, for instance, that's not easy, right? Uh, the difficulty is if you like, if you go in thinking, oh, Desmond Ritter, this could be our guy. We think there's at least a 50-50 chance that he'll be there for us at the top of the second or we can trade back into the end of the first. But then the psychology is if you've evaluated a quarterback and you've decided, hey, this is a guy we want to hitch our wagon to, then you can't feel free to assume nobody else has had the same epiphany. So if you like him enough to take him at uh, 30 four or 37 or whatever you trade back in to get him at 29 then you probably like him enough to take him at eight 
in so much as they're not other players. And we talked about before we came on the air, we were talking about the Giants and the, the prospects at five to eight. But the quality of players available at eight, nine, ten this year are not the level of typical drafts. The quality of players available one, two, three are not. I mean, where would Aiden Hutchinson go in last year's draft? Fifth? Sixth? Yeah. You know? Uh, so I, there's lots of, of moving parts here, but I think that you're going to see the bad organizations blink. You're going to see the bad organizations make emotional decisions. You're going to see the good organizations be patient and prosper. And another theme that came up on a, a show I did recently, uh, Paul, is bad decisions beget bad decisions. As a Giants fan, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> right? Bad decisions beget bad decisions. Now, on the draft night, we think we know if it was a good or a bad decision. And well, in the case with Daniel Jones, we were right. But it, sometimes we're wrong. Uh, so Atlanta, Terry Fontenot, the decision he's going to have to make all these teams looking at quarterbacks. Uh, it, it, it's a great intrigue, even though these aren't the quarterbacks that we think are going to shift the league the way that Mahomes and Allen did. Yeah, and you make a great point there about like, if you think he's the guy and you really have a conviction on him, then is he too, is it too early at six or is it too early at eight instead of late round one? And, and, and that's really the case. And listen, in hindsight, draft Twitter seems to have been with the W on the Daniel Jones thing. But the one thing that I did remember saying on air on my show and, and stuff like that is, is, the Giants had a conviction, right, on Daniel Jones. It, it, it looks like it's going to be the incorrect one at the time, but they their philosophy was kind of what you were saying, right? If he's good enough to pick at 17 and we think he's good enough and the guy, well, they pulled the trigger at six because they were worried that somebody else might feel the same way. And that kind of could be the case right here, which is why, like, if a team loves Ritter or Corral, we could see them go a lot earlier than we might think, right? If a team, like, in the six, you know, hypothetically, you know, I know the Eagles brought in Corral and I don't think they're going to take him, but hypothetically, like they were really, they were really intrigued by him. They might use that pick in the teens rather than wait to the second round because they're like, listen, we really like this guy. You know, if, is there that big of a disparity between the talent, you know, teams, you want a team to have a conviction in a player. And I think that's something with this quarterback class. that's going to be really interesting of can teams wait and, and say, listen, can we get that good value? Can we let things fall? I always go back to that Drew Locke draft. How much conviction did the Broncos really have on Drew Locke? Right. They passed on him twice. They literally traded down, took some, took a linebacker, took another player before him, and then was like, eh, okay, he could be like our third pick in this draft. Like, right. They got tired of John Elway saying, take Locke, take Locke, take Drew yeah. Locke. Take Locke. And finally, they're like, okay, John, we're going to take like, him now. So like, clearly, you quiet? clearly there wasn't a lot of conviction in that room across the board that he was a, uh, an elite future franchise quarterback because you don't pass on him twice. You don't right. trade down. You don't pass on him twice and then say, oh, we really like him. So it's, the dynamics are fascinating. Let, let's transition over to some running back. Talk, okay. Where we obviously know we probably aren't going to have any in round one. Maybe Kent Walker or Brees Hall can sneak in, you know, the back end kind of like Rashad Penny that year. But I still would be very surprised by yeah. that. I think that, you know, we knew Najee Harris was kind of penciled in for Pittsburgh last year. But if he doesn't go to Pittsburgh, he probably falls to yeah. somewhere in the top of the second round. I think that's probably the sweet spot. The first 10 picks of the second round for Kent Walker and Brees Hall. Uh, maybe f- let's start there. Uh, you have a preference sure. between those two or maybe just kind of your thoughts on, on those two, uh, what I think is the t- the top tier running back class for most. I'd probably say Hall just because of that ceiling. 
the athleticism, the all-around game. Although Kenneth Walker, just because they didn't use him a lot as a receiver, I think is one of those players. Like, say, Nick Chubb, where he's not necessarily a one-dimensional back. Um, I think, going back to what you were saying about the first round, you know, we'll, we'll sit up a little bit straighter when Buffalo's on the clock, for sure. Maybe Tampa, maybe. Uh, it certainly is the kind of luxury pick a team that is in the playoffs uh, in the Super Bowl window can afford to take. Tampa in particular looks like they're, Jason Light is smartly drafting for two or three years down the line. So you know, we'll see. But I, I think Hall, with his what he can contribute in the passing game, and I think if he can become a more disciplined runner, he can add more value. Whereas Walker, now depending on your philosophy, because again, Chubb, right? Let's go back to Nick Chubb. And we've been talking so much over the years recently about how bad it is to sign a running back to a second contract. I'm not saying that about Nick Chubb's contract, not yet, not yet. And part of it, I think, is because of the alignment between what the Browns need to do to win on offense and what Nick Chubb adds to their offense, the value he adds to the already enhanced touches for the running back in that system. So I think that uh, Kenneth Walker, and we're going to see the pendulum in the background here, Paul, what was the biggest story of last year in terms of football strategy? It was the return of the, the, the uh, too high shell, right? Let's take away the big plays for, and then again, here we go with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, then these quarterbacks influencing the game, right? Not just the games they're in, but the way the game is played. So let's concede a light box so that we can take away these big plays and make these quarterbacks be patient, make, make them be deliberate. Take what the defense gives them, so to speak. What the defense is giving you in that approach is the running game. And that's where Kenneth Walker comes in. If you want a guy who can be that classic boa constrictor, Derrick Henry, right? I mean, he's not Derrick Henry's bulk and kinetic energy, but gets stronger as the game goes on, as the team, the defense is getting weaker. So a team that is looking to install more of that balance in their philosophy might like Walker more. Uh, I, I think they're both, you know, they're both going to be impact players right away. Uh, I think the fact that they're not going as high as, say, Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey is no big deal because, uh, as, as we talked about, um, I mean, is it even a good thing that the Giants have a fifth-year option on Barkley? Do they even, I mean, could he end up a Buffalo Bill by the end of the weekend? I don't know, but I know that teams are looking at that. Teams are looking at the second contracts for McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, and so on, and saying running backs are disposable. We're going to use them up on his rookie contract and then rinse repeat. Yeah, and I think the conversation you just had there about Buffalo and the Giants and Saquon Barkley is a fascinating one because the Giants brought in Brees Hall for a top 30 visit. And like that like piqued some interest, you know, I know in New York because I don't really see, you know, Shane from Buffalo's roots thinking about a running back at 36 with all that with, with all the holes that the Giants have. But if he was able to find a taker for Saquon Barkley, even if it was just like swap one of his thirds to like a late second round, is, is that why they're doing their due diligence? Is it if he falls to the third round? But but the Barkley thing is still, I think, to be determined. I think he's going to be here for this year. But if the right deal presented itself, I know NFL Network threw out something and not that it would 
the Giants would have instantly accepted about like Houston and the Giants flip flopping picks at right. the top of the draft. You know, Houston is an interesting thing. Just for one second on Saquon Barkley, yeah. I could see a team like Houston, which is not committed to many salaries right now, right? Besides Laramie Tunsil, they don't have a lot of money on the books. They don't really have a face. They don't really have a name. They're an interesting place that if a team did want to trade for Saquon Barkley, I don't think Houston is 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 too crazy of a, of a place to consider because it kind of gives them a little bit of an identity, a name brand a little bit, you know, in terms of that, not that it makes much sense for them on the football field to, to trade for a running back when they have so many holes to still go. But I could see maybe if the owner was like, Oh, we need a little pizzazz. Saquon Barkley's a name. If it only costs a third round pick, why not? Right. They, they're a team that also traded for David Johnson and, right. you know, brought in a bunch of guys. So I think that's an interesting dynamic there. And yeah, I think you're right. I think these guys are probably pigeonholed for round two. I think Brees Hall is a little bit more versatile than Kent Walker, but Kent Walker could end up being one of those guys where, don't knock him for something he just wasn't asked to do. Yeah. It's not necessarily something he can't do. And I think that's something that we always got to really kind of walk and straddle that line as we're trying to tra- predict these guys transitioning from the college game to the pro game. After those two guys, I really think it's a very uh, versatile group of a lot of bigger, stronger physical power guys. That starts with Isaiah Spiller probably, but you have Brian Robinson, you have Zamir White, Damian Pierce is a name that's hot from Florida. Uh, And then you have a lot of guys who I think are space players, pass catchers, versatile offensive weapons from, I know James Cook is my third Mm -hmm. running back in this class. I love his versatility. You know, I mean, you know, Matt here for years, we've been saying, I think we're going to look back at a guy like James Cook the same way we look back at a guy like Alvin Kamara in terms of Tennessee. Georgia didn't need to because they were so loaded. Tennessee, it'll always be questions on why they didn't utilize him more. But a guy who wasn't utilized as much as he could have been used at college, but a really versatile skill set. That's what I think James Cook is, but there's Rashad White and Tyler Beatty and, you know, and a host of other guys. Is there one or two guys, whether it's the power group or whether it's the space group that kind of have your interest peaked from the running back before we kind of transition home? Yeah, I like the space group. And I think you're right to bring up James Cook as a player that we should not let the way he was used at Georgia limit our imagination on how he could be used in the pros, or at least in terms of fantasy value, or in terms of how important he is to the offense. Obviously, he's not going to be uh, a bell cow back, but that doesn't mean that where the rubber meets the road in fantasy and in production terms, that he can be a player that is very important for fantasy football. Um, uh, And I think, and you mentioned uh, the, the Tyler Beatty out of Missouri, He's interesting. So you see these guys behind other running backs waiting for their chance, right? Brian Robinson, right? Uh, and we only get a glimpse in this last year, but the glimpse is so we can you know put him in both of those categories. Um, but you see him as a space player, but you also see him as a willing inside runner. And it could be one of those players that isn't drafted to be a, a starting back or an every down back. But if a team gives him a chance, either by injury or just because uh, you know things come to pass where he's at the top of the depth chart by the end of the season, he could really surprise. I think the other thing to watch again is, will the pendulum swing back and teams put a little more emphasis on that classic downhill, no-nonsense power runner? Because that's what a lot of defenses are going to concede. So these guys like Kevin Harris... Ty Davis Price, um, 
the running backs, maybe even Tyler Algier. I know there's a lot of different opinions all over the board about him uh, as far as how well he's going to apply to the pros. Maybe even Hassan Haskins. You know, just these running backs who are like, give me another and another and another and can really put the lean on the defense. I think that those running backs, if they're taken higher than we expect, say third, fourth round, uh, then that could be a sign that teams, that could be a sign of where the league is going, right? In that pendulum, uh, a way, okay, if you're going to take away the play downfield in the passing game, then we're going to make you stop the run. And that's where the defensive side of strategy and how much certain kinds of players on defense are valued. And again, the draft is always our first clue of at least where the good teams think the league is headed. Yeah. And I think, I think that's right. Like, we know the defensive scheming is something that there's the peaks and valleys in terms of applying and transitioning to what the offense is doing. And I think that's where we're going, right? Like we're going towards, they want to stop that big play. They want to try to, you know, death by a thousand cuts rather right. than one big play like over the top. And, and we started to see teams, you know, implement that defensive strategy last year. And then that opens up. Well, if, if that's the case, we can just live the power run game. And like some teams would be willing to do it. Other teams, maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to kind of transition back to that. You know, we saw Belichick and obviously he's at the forefront of adapting a philosophy. I mean, once upon a time, you know, 1990, he literally wanted his defense to let the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl run the ball. Like he knew that was their only way, you know, for the Giants to compete in that game was to take the ball out of Jim Kelly's hands and 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 kill clock. Even when they were on defense, they were allowing it. So like, you know, he's always at the forefront of of unique, you know, schemes to to try to adapt to what the other opponent is doing. And we're seeing there's a lot of guys. This this class for power runners is very deep like it, it could start in the third round it could probably last all the way to the sixth round of guys that could could have a role at the next level and we see running back is really about getting an opportunity right after those top tier guys at, at, in the top of every draft there's not a lot of disparity between like the rb5 and like rb12 of most draft classes it really is do they get an opportunity is the depth chart set up for them and i think a lot of guys you know in terms of fantasy could become fantasy relevant because their skill sets are pretty comparable it all takes is an injury all it takes is an opportunity, and we can see a lot of guys take advantage of that. Uh, tight end group, I think, is a, is a is one that we don't have the star power. We obviously <laughs> don't have a, a, a Pitts, who we talked a lot about last year as a, as, a, as a straight unicorn. I don't even think we have a Pat Fryer mood. All the guys in this class, I, I have graded below Pat Fryer mood. But I do think round three to round four is kind of a sweet spot. There's about six guys who I think teams could be really intrigued with, potentially being a starting tight end at some point. Do you have a, do you have one or two that, that are your favorites from that tight end group? I know McBride's the name most talked about, yeah. uh, but Ruckert is, is very, I like Ruckert the most to be honest. And you know, Dulcich is more of just a pass catching guy, but everybody else of the top group, a little bit more balanced than we're used yeah. to. They, Dulcich is the only one I think what people would pigeonhole as the straight pass catching type. Jelani Woods has really been riding the momentum of the pre-draft process. You have a couple favorites at the tight end position. Well, I always like the projects, right? I, or I like the projections. Um, and like you said, it's not an exciting tight end class. It's not. Uh, even Trey McBride is, he's, I mean, look, Dalton Schultz is showing us that in the right situation, uh, a, a tight end who's not a dynamic athlete, but is very dependable and a good two-way tight end can have some fantasy value, but they're never going to approach the, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, George Kittle, Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller 
uh, and then Darren Waller is kind of the on ramp into some of the the more the projections. And you mentioned Dulcich, and Dul- you know Dulcich is more of a pass catching tight end, but he's still not a dynamic pass catching tight end. And you'll see that. But then there are more of the two way tight ends. You, you mentioned Rucker, and Rucker with Ohio State. <laughs> isn't it just the case with every Ohio State player in the passing game? Well, we don't know what he can do. I mean, maybe there's a, maybe there's a <laughs> lot more there. Uh, and certainly with with Rucker, it's reasonable to project that guys like Kate Otten, um, Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. These are good two way tight ends in the right situation. But you mentioned Jelani Woods, and Woods is, is uh, massive and highly athletic, but has just hasn't played to it yet. But that's going to get your attention. Uh, Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina is a player, a tight end who can take over a game. Now, take over a game at Coastal Carolina, but I'm interested. I'm always uh, you know, going for more of some of these boom-bust guys. Um, somebody like Cole Turner out of Nevada, a converted wide receiver. Even if we're going to go deeper than that, Curtis Hodges out of Arizona State. Uh, these are more long-term projects, but you know, look at how Darren Waller turned out with some patience for the Raiders. Uh, and then I just want to mention Grant Calcaterra because you all are on top of this. Where was he? If you, I don't know if you all are ranking this early, but like in 2018, where would he have been when you were projecting his class? Yeah, he was he was my he was my favorite tight end prospect. Like yeah. I was comparing him to like, you know, I I thought he could have an impact of like, you know, this is way back when for some people, but I thought he could be a Dallas Clark. Exactly, that's like, exactly that's the name. The guy that I kept. Yes, thinking. when that's I was watching name. him play at Oklahoma, I was yeah. like, wow, this guy could be Dallas Clark. Yeah, and he retired due to concussions. I don't know if he was really quite his old self, but I love, especially if we're going to get down to nitty gritty of rookie drafts and fantasy. I love taking chances like that because at tight end, the bar is so low for fantasy relevance and the potential payoff for a player like that. Now, of course, we want to see where he goes in the draft, if he gets drafted at all, because that's going to give us a clue into whether teams are worried about his concussions. Uh, And then where he ends up, which is an organization that helps players hit their peak. That There's a lot of overachievers and how much they use the tight end position. So in this class, because the top isn't really that sexy, I like the long shots, but the ones that could pay off if they do hit. Yeah, I think that I think that's spot on. The, this tight end class doesn't have that top of the tier guy. It's kind of pick your flavor, uh, wait and develop some guys. I think you said a lot of two way tight ends that are very serviceable. Before we transition to the last question tonight, yeah. we're on the tight end position. I always like to pick your brain on one Denver related question because yeah. yeah. I know you, you would see still have some intel. Was them giving up Noah Fant in the Russell Wilson trade a part of, A, that's what it took to get Russell Wilson? Or do you think, and maybe what Cecil said, were they as equally willing to give up Noah Fant because they are in love, infatuated, or really think highly of Albert Okawebenam that they were more willing to not even try to get Fant out of that deal because of how much they like Okawebenam? Yeah, I think they like Okawebenam. And I think that we don't talk about this much, maybe because of the fantasy perspective where volume and statistics take the place of evaluation. Fan's been a disappointment. He's been a disappointment. Now, granted, Devin Bush as a Steelers fan, I have to say Devin Bush has been a disappointment (laughs) too. Remember the Broncos traded down with the Steelers. Uh, Steelers move up to get Devin Bush. Steelers have to make a decision about him. Uh, And uh, the Broncos get Noah Fant. Fant largely has been at a plateau in his development, right? We knew he was athletic. We knew he was going to be one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. But has it turned into somebody who can make 
plays additionally at the catch point or plays after the catch with some elusiveness or power. No, I think he just came into the league with the tools he had and he can win sometimes be productive based on those tools, but he hasn't grown as a player. Albert Okwebenam is just as athletic as Fant. He's just as special as far as tools. And uh, maybe what originally was something to spark his college quarterback, Drew Locke, is now something where, like you say, they they see that they don't need Fant as a piece when they have Okwebenam. So absolutely, this is going to be interesting to see. The only problem with the Broncos is just there's one football. And I mean, how are you going to feed all these players, especially when I think Javante Williams is still going to be the point of the spear for this offense? It's not going to be like it was in Seattle, where they're slavishly committed to the run. But I still think this is going to be a more balanced offense. This isn't going to be like Russell Wilson air show, even though they have the weapons to do that if they want to. Yeah. And listen, these athletic tight ends that go in round one, you know, it's interesting, right? You know, Evan Ingram's on his new, uh, second team. Uh, OJ Howard is on his second team. Amazingly, David Njoku has managed to stay on his first team. <laughs> right. You know, like that's remarkable. It looked like he was the first one of that trio from that draft class who was maybe going to be on a new home, yet he's staying with his team. You know, Noah Fant, right? We see it all the time. Tight ends are time that sometimes it's their second spot. Sometimes it's their second contract. We'll see if any of these guys, you know, and throw Noah Fant into that mix, you know, like obviously not a second contract yet. But we'll we'll see if if any of these guys in their new surroundings, you know, minus the joke saying, kind of find their stride and be impactful. And what you said about Okawebenam and, and only one ball, you know, you kind of you kind of laughed it off too with, with Ruckert at Ohio State. But that kind of be the same thing, right? If you're the Ohio State quarterback, are you really looking Jeremy Ruckert's way when you have Chris <laughs> Olave, Garrett Wilson, and then the Smith and the Jigba kid, right? Right. Who's going to be like a, a future top ten pick or whatever in the NFL draft? Are you really looking for option four? Like, right, right. This Ohio is Dawson Knox, right? This is the yeah. Dawson Knox conversation. Exactly. When you, you know, have Metcalf Ohio- and Brown, yeah. Yeah, these Ohio State wide receivers, the odds are pretty high they're going to create separation and get open against college opponents that you're not you don't need to look for option 4, which was which was Jeremy Ruckert and amazingly he had more his amount of targets that in his collegiate career was like 72. Trey McBride had like 130 right. this year. Right, you know, right. So it's it's a projection game. It's a projection game. I think Dawson Knox is the perfect, you know, guy to say and bring up when you're talking about Jeremy Ruckert, right? Don't blame Dawson Knox for the lack of opportunity at Ole Miss. Why would the quarterback – that might have been Park Chad Kelly, I think, back then. But, like, why would the Jordan Tamu, too, uh, yeah, now the US, uh, out of the USFL, yeah. Yep. Why would the quarterback throw to Dawson Knox when he had DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown probably dominating? So really fascinating stuff there with the tight end. Last question I want to pose. We're going to get away from the offensive side of the ball. I heard you talking about him as one of your crushes on the Audible last week. Uh, Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Like He's such a fascinating conversation. One of my closest friends, former contributor here at Saturday Sunday, Brandon Jones and I, were having a whole long conversation because he's a diehard Falcons fan. And he was saying, you know who I'd be okay with now at eight? He's he, I've warmed up to the idea of Atlanta throwing a curveball and taking Jordan Davis. And I know you were talking about him. And I know uh, Josh Norris is very high on him. He's such a fascinating thing, right? A guy who played... 22 snaps a game is that because he only can handle that is it because the georgia defense was so elite my question for you is any team that invests any first round pick on him whether it's at eight whether it's the chargers who've been Mm kind of you know maybe connected to him a little bit do you think a team's looking at him and saying 
three things I think a team would have to, and I'm interested to see if you agree with me. One, he could play 50 to 60% of the snaps, no problem. They thinking that. Two, he could be a guy who's obviously an elite run defender. And three, we think he's a guy who could disrupt the pass and maybe be a six, seven sack type of guy. Do you think a team has to be thinking those check boxes to warrant him going in round one in today's NFL? Well, again, I'll bring up that teams are playing intentionally with light boxes. And it may come down to, and I know this is an old school way of thinking, and it may be slightly outmoded, but I don't believe it is, Paul. You draft to win your division, right? You draft to win your division. So, for instance, oh, you know, if I'm a team, say, in the NFC East, where well, Dak Prescott, I mean, Dak Prescott doesn't necessarily strike fear in the hearts of opponents, right? Jalen Hurts doesn't strike fear in the hearts of opponents. Carson Wentz doesn't strike fear in the hearts of opponents. Daniel Jones doesn't. So you're not going to be conceding the run game to these offenses. So Jordan Davis doesn't make as much sense. If I'm in the AFC West with Herbert and Mahomes and Wilson, you know, let's say I'm the Raiders and I know that that's going to be the approach, then having that player on early downs who just, even though you only have a three-man front, even though you're dropping eight into coverage, can still make it very difficult on the offense to run inside. I think that's a much more valuable player. And much more, when you scheme up, how are we going to make this work? That's how you make it work, right? And like you said, and I think that his ability to create pressure Create pressure, maybe not get sacks, I don't know, but create pressure for other guys to clean up or to otherwise disrupt a play. I think that's there. So it isn't even just like, well, okay, we can't run at Jordan Davis, so now we're really going to commit to the pass on early downs. I think he can still be disruptive against the pass. I, you know, Disruption of production, Josh Norris will mention him again. So I think that uh, absolutely it makes sense. And look, there's a larger question here, and this is all is wonderful for illustrating how the draft is an on-ramp to any kind of intellectual conversation about football you could think of. Um, can a player affect on 50% of the snaps, affect the game enough to be worth that pick? And I, I think the answer is obviously yes. It's obviously yes. I mean, how, how many, again, a shutdown corner can distort an offense a bit because you take away half of the field or something like that, but let's be real. You know, Sauce Gardner, how many plays a game is he really going to affect? I mean, yes, he's going to be on the field for all those plays, uh, but there's lots of plays. I mean, for instance, every running play, he's not even going to really affect the outcome of the play. Maybe a handful of plays will be run to his side where he'll have an effect on that play. So if we're being honest, most players don't influence the game more than 50% of the snaps anyway. You might argue, argue an edge rusher, Paul, an edge rusher who can influence the game five plays. Right, If he can create five pressures, five hurries, I don't care if he gives up runs yards to the running game. Like I remember evaluating Michael Johnson back in the day at Georgia Tech, saying, look, if he gives me those two or three sp- splash plays on third down, key passing downs, then I'll, I'll let, I'll hand, I can tolerate loafing on some run plays. And now with teams having 17, 18 guys on defense that they're playing significant snaps, it's normal for a player, to, especially on the defensive line, to only play. Look, even your most heavily used defensive lineman is going to play, what, 80% of the snaps with the question, with a few exceptions of like a J.J. Watt freakish guy or something like that. So I, I think that these are the kinds of things, if I wanted to take Jordan Davis in the first round, this is exactly the stuff I would want out there. 
oh yeah, twenty two snaps a game. Oh, he can he only helps the run and things like that. Because I think there's a lot more there, and what we know is there for sure is more important than it was where we wouldn't have been talking about. And look at some of these players that have worked out, like Dexter Lawrence, right? He talked about the number 17 pick. Um, I mean, these players, Christian Wilkins, these players that are maybe pigeonholed and saying, well, they're not really going to affect the game in all the dimensions. Uh, I mean, look, give me that guy, George Young, you know, Giants planet theory. This is your planet theory guy, and I think it applies as, as much as it did. How long ago did George Young come up with that, Paul? Yeah, 40, 40 years yeah. ago, still applies. Yeah, and, and you make a really great point there. Like, thinking about it, David Ajabo pre-injury was going to go in round one. Why was he going to go in round one in the teens? Because for five or six plays a game, they were excited about his pass rushing ability. He was going to be a designated pass rusher, you know, going in round one. So there's this specialized roles for every players and the, the, the role that, you know, Jordan Davis could potentially have and what he could create. And I think you, you bet you kind of set it and laid the foundation. The spot is very important for him. Like I think about the chargers and I think to myself, like what he would create and open up for Bosa, you know, and, you know, and the pass rushers that the chargers now have there would be something that his impact might really be felt regardless of what the production on, on paper looked like the same way Vita Vea, nobody's saying the Vita right? Vea wasn't a good pick. And, but, but he makes, he, he helps that Tampa Bay team, you know, if you put him on the, the worst team in football, well, then maybe Vita Vea or bottom 10 team, maybe Vita Vea is not looked at as a good first round pick right now. Right. right so I right. think I think it matters, you know, the team he's on and what you have. But you put Jordan Davis on the Chargers who are trying to open things up or, like you said, maybe play a, a style of defense where they're back more against, the, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, and Russell Wilson and, and stuff like that. And we know the Raiders with Josh McDaniels are going to air it out a lot, especially after the Devontae Adams trade and Darren. And Waller's there, you know. So you look at a guy like the, a team like the Chargers and think to myself, okay, maybe Jordan Davis does make a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. it, it's fascinating to kind of see. And, and like you said, the way the NFL is changing, are we going to see these guys, these uh, these elite athletic defensive tackles, are their value going to start to inflate again after we kind of deflated them for a period of mm-hmm. time here? It's going to be really interesting. So Sig. As always, an absolute pleasure to have you on here. I know I say it every year, but you and your, you know, your good friend Matt Waldman, who's scheduled to come on next week, I feel like you guys, you know, top the standings here of, of guest appearances here at Saturday, Sunday, and it, it truly does mean the world to me to have you guys come on pretty much twice a year, every single year, pre-draft, post-draft. It's always some of my favorite episodes of the year. Uh, please, you know, uh, let the audience, you know, I, sure. I'm sure most of them know where you're at and what you're working on, but anything you want to kind of push from from football guys. I know you guys have started some newer podcasts over the last year since I've had you on here. Anything you want to talk about, uh, please, uh, you know, the floor yeah. is yours. We, oh, uh, you know, if you haven't heard of Football Guys, check it out. If you obsess about football, if you're listening to this show, there's probably something there for you <laughs> at Football Guys. And we'll be doing the live draft uh, like we do always do during the first round. And uh, Paul, among others, will be joining us, which we always have fun. First of all, it's fun. It's always fun. And uh, the Bloom 100, which is for those of you that play in deep dynasty leagues, dynasty leagues with IDPs. I include, it's a combined top 100, including IDPs. Um, I put up a post-draft uh, version usually on Monday or Tuesday after the draft, once we learn destinations, which I've become more and more open to changing 
where when I started doing this 17 years ago, Paul, I'd say, talent's everything. It doesn't matter where they land. Mm -hmm. And now, as you can tell from our conversation, I think fit and surroundings and context is extremely important. You mentioned Cordero Patterson. So, you know, if someone's actually still listening at this point in the show, then there are kind of people and you're, you're our kind of people. And I think that it's, it's a joy because there's so many live minds in our space and it's what makes it fun. It's what keeps us coming back. There's the football, but there's also the human connection and the stimulation of talking to and cross-pollinating ideas with other people that uh, you know, find this so, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of like, uh, 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 it's mesmerizing in the way that if you start to stare at any one part of it, like at the old magic eye pictures, right? Like a whole different picture emerges, and then you start to stare at part of that, and a whole different picture emerges, and uh, and it's exciting because of what we talked about—that it's always changing, it's never at rest, and that's why we're never at rest. That's why we always have things to say and things to do. So I always look forward to these two shows. I'm I'm thankful for football for giving us an excuse to meet each other and interact with each other and be a part of each other's lives, especially those wonderful people that are listening to our shows, consuming what we do, uh, because it, it, without them, the, well, you know, we probably would probably still do this just for ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the kind words. And yeah, listen, guys, people always ask me, why don't you put out Dynasty Rookie Rankings before the draft? And I say, well, my rankings are out there. My draft rankings are out there. That's based on my film and talent evaluation that's my rankings pre-draft. As soon as the draft's over, I put out my Dynasty Rookie rankings because we need to be able to be flexible. We need to be able to take into account things like draft capital and the depth charts uh, before we do that. So right now, my rankings are my, my evaluations. That's that's where I stand before the draft. And then right after the draft, I can put more of a fantasy lens on that for sure, similar to uh, Bloom's pre-100 and post-100. Uh, make sure you're checking all that out and all the other great stuff over at Football Guys. I greatly look forward to joining them again on round one of the NFL Draft coverage, one of my favorite things I do each and every year. So on behalf of SIG, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>